Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Hello and welcome to the show, The Afternoon Buzz. Hello, Dan Torres. What is going on today, Buzz? Well, there's a lot going on today, but I'd also like to talk about what's going on tomorrow. Tomorrow is a, uh, I guess it's a dreadful anniversary. It's the 21st anniversary of the January 11th, 2002 opening of the Guantanamo Bay Detention Prison Center. Um, and uh, You were involved in that work, weren't you, Buzz? I did. I, represent, I was. I represented uh, eight detainees over a 12-year period, and uh, my, my spouse, my best friend, um, near the end of my tenure, I think what told that my tenure was coming up is when she calculated that I'd been there, I spent over five months in that detention center, that dreadful piece of earth down there uh, in Cuba. And uh, tomorrow is the anniversary of the opening of that place with mm-hmm. those 22 caged, kenneled men. Um, is that how many are, are remaining? 35 are remaining. 35 are remaining. 779 have been there. There's, there's 35 remaining, and we're going to do a lot with it. We are, uh, the reason I'm mentioning it, I mean, there's a few reasons to mention it. Uh, number one, I hope listeners do call in. We have um, uh, Professor Mark Falkoff from the Northern Illinois University of Law, uh, who's going to join us, and Beth Jacobs, uh, both extraordinary lawyers. Uh, Beth, I think, has represented eight detainees. Um, she goes when they're transferred out of there. She goes and keeps up with them. She's an extra, and she still has one um, down there whose name is escaping me at the moment. I'll remember it, of course, before I fall asleep tonight. Mm-hmm. As I close my eyes, I'll say, that's his name. But <laughs> um, And Mark is helping her with that case. And Mark is, uh, has worked on so many cases. I'm not even sure. We'll find out more about it today. I mean, tomorrow, sorry. But... Um, Anyway, I'm excited about that. Nancy Telanian will be joining us uh, of the No More Guantanamo's organization, and she'll be talking about um, what that wonderful organization is doing. Um, before that, we will have um, John Boniface, the president of Free Speech for People, talking about the dreadful things that are going on there. So tomorrow's show should be a really interesting one, and um, today's is really an interesting one because um, I think that we have the... Um, let me say... He's an old legislator, a long-tenured legislator with a new gig. I think <laughs> it's Senator Paul Mark is joining us. Hello, Paul. Hey, how's it going? Well, our listeners might not know what I'm referring to, but I think you will. <laughs> You're trading in a cod for, uh, I think it's an old, what, 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 it was up above the chandelier in the Senate chamber, but is it... Um, it's a holy mackerel. It's a holy mackerel. That's what it is. You're trading in a cod for a mackerel. Uh, you must be excited with this new gig. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's only a weekend, but it's wonderful so far. <laughs> it's it's uh, it was an exciting last week. We had the swearing in ceremony, and it was the first time it was in person since 2019. So that was nice to kind of see everyone again. It, I, there's there's several legislators I hadn't seen for a very long time. And then we had the swearing in of, of the new governor as well the next day. So yeah, busy, busy week of, of ceremony and history and, and interesting stuff. It really is historic. And, and any, anybody who really thinks about it should be celebrating the fact that we have, you know, five women at the top of our uh, mm-hmm. government and, and uh, it's high time. And um, 
we're just all be so happy. But I, I, I have to go back. This is so mundane, Paul. You're going to just be yawning as I ask you the question. But I've been in the Senate chambers, and I know they were, before COVID, renovated greatly. So instead of being um, 160 seats in the House chamber, looking at the, uh, whatever you call the, the thing at the front there, that big block at the front where the speaker is, you're now in a circle looking at each other, right? Yep, yep, the rostrum. is, is The, the rostrum, room. that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, I have to run yeah. for office so I learn these things, right? <laughs> yes, it's worth it just for the vocab. Or, or take uh, the class you handed off to me. That <laughs> <laughs> right. No, but I, it, it must be really different. So you um, have come in with some really ambitious... Uh, things not the least of which on your agenda is uh, west-east rail, as we like to say out here in western Massachusetts. Uh, um, transportation is one of your uh, real goals for um, the next couple of years, right? Yeah, and, and it's interesting because the commission that is exploring, I guess, how to permanently structure whatever an authority may or may not look like at such time as this rail service actually starts kicking into you know actual service, uh, is is having a hearing in uh, Greenfield, I think, on the 24th of January at 10 a.m. So in case anyone listening is interested in that, and I believe, and I'm sorry, I do not have the details, there is a different study group that is meeting tonight to talk about uh, the northern tier. So the idea of a rail coming from, uh, I think the end of the line is near Fitchburg and, and extending out not just to Greenfield, but then beyond all the way to North Adams. So there's a lot there's a lot of interest right now there's a lot of discussion and hopefully some movement and at the moment there happens to be some money so yeah we're hoping that some of these projects will actually get get going and 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 will get on the right path and hopefully you know in in a realistic amount of time that we'll start seeing some service connecting i mean it took a while to get that Valley Flyer up and running, and now it's been successful. Even with COVID, it's it's persisted well, and it's been made permanent. So we love that. And in the Berkshires, there's a smaller project called the Berkshire Flyer that is bringing people up from New York during the summer, which is a good step in the right direction. And so just showing that there is actually an interest that people, when offered these services, use them, I think is important. So it's a good time you know, to, to try to if you have comments, if you're someone listening and, and you have thoughts on what you'd like that kind of public transit to look like, this is this is a good time to be in touch with any of your legislators, really. And I'll find out more about uh, the uh, uh, convening in Greenfield. Uh, you said on the yeah. 23rd, is that right? Uh, I think it's the 24th. On the 24th. I'll find out about that. I'll announce it beforehand um, so that people know about that. It's really important. I think, you know, my understanding is the north-south thing, we've got it going and we need better ridership for the east-west thing. Is it's really important. My concern, and tell me if it's your concern, is the governor's well-intended um, uh, efforts to cure what's going on with the with mass transit in the Boston area with the subway system. Um, yeah, we might be sort of pushed to the back burner on the transit mass transit. Uh, thing and that would be terrible because uh, a whole lot. Hey, our climate is at stake. We need mass transit. And and Buzz, if, if I may just quickly interrupt, the the meeting is uh, via Zoom. It's today at six p.m. Uh, no, I think that's, that's tomorrow. The sorry, tier. it's for the Northern Tier. Yeah. Oh, sorry, that's yep. the Northern tomorrow. Tier. Got it. Thank you for pointing that out. And that's tomorrow. Tomorrow at webinar at six. Okay. 
Okay. Uh, thank you for that, Dan. Um, but yeah, that's my concern is that while trying to fix the subway system that we might be ignored a little bit. Yeah, so, so the governor, she said in her inaugural speech that, yes, she, that is a priority for her. And I think she's appointing, I don't know what the word that people use anymore, but a taskmaster to kind of oversee what, what's going on. And, it, you know, obviously, do I use that on a regular basis? No. Do people I represent use it on a very regular day basis? No. Maybe your kids at school or something do. But is it an important engine for the state? Yeah. And is it something that the administration has to prioritize? Absolutely. But I think it's been short-sighted in the past that the idea that trying to make the subway and the MBTA commuter rail in the Boston metro area work is, is like, well, we can't do two things at once. And that's just nonsense. And that's part of why that that series of hearings is happening with this rail commission, because a conversation that legislators have been having and now with uh, rail advocates, with the planning commissions, with even the previous Baker administration is, so do we try to expand the MBTA West and make sure that that's funded properly? Do we create a different rail commission so that when you know someone wants to focus on the MBTA, it doesn't come at the expense of a Western Mass rail commission instead that is focused on its own thing? Or do we do more of a model that this Valley Flyer and the Berkshire Flyer have used where essentially we're helping partner with Amtrak to, to make something happen? And, and it's a it's a big question because no matter where you land, if you create a Western Mass independent authority, it needs to be funded. And the thing with the MBTA is it gets one of the pennies out of the 6.25% sales tax. So every time you buy something, whether you realize it or not, one of the percent that's in your sales tax is going to the MBTA. And, you know, there's an argument to be made that where it has a dedicated stream, and it goes into even Rhode Island, so they have a way to make this thing work into another state. Mm. Like maybe, maybe that should come out west. But if the if the avenue chosen is going to be instead a, a separate authority, well, we have to make sure it's getting maybe a quarter of that one percent or a tenth of one percent. But 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 something that has to be. If we have to beg every two years to get the authority funded, I mean, it's it, it's it's going to be a real problem. Well, I am really glad you're on the case. I'm really glad it's one of your priorities. And I'm also really glad uh, to know that one of your priorities is um, uh, service, finding services for those who are living without shelter. Um, mm -hmm. It's so important. We've, we've been focused on that on, on our show, on people who uh, work with that population. And um, I'm, I'm always gratified for your proper priorities. Um, but as a senator now, I'm really glad to hear that your voice is going to be a strong one for that population. Yeah. And, and one of the most useful things we do is, is we try to make sure if there's a, if it's at all possible that people don't lose their housing to begin with. It was once you once you start that spiral, it just becomes more and more difficult. And then when you're in the winter months, you know, you want to make sure that people aren't out in the freezing cold, that they're able to get what they need and, and, and that they know the resources are there if they want to go after them. And then in the summer, you know, the exact opposite, that people aren't too hot, that they're being hydrated, all, all of that. And it's, you know, it's an issue. I know we know it out in Western Mass. I think some, some of the, some of the time people in, in the city maybe don't realize that, you know, even though we're the beautiful country, <laughs> there's still all the same issues that exist everywhere else in the same poverty. And so, yeah, having having a district that is significantly different than the district I used to represent in the House, uh, that is, you know, 57 communities in, in all four Western Mass counties, it, it puts me in kind of a unique position to try to be a resource 
to coordinate between the, 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 the different regions and, and, you know, to try to help as many people as possible. Thank you for that. And, and it's easier out here to see that there are neighbors. I think it's when you're in the city and you're passing them and they're on the sidewalk on the blankets, it's, mm-hmm. it's easier to objectify them. But uh, out here there are neighbors. And speaking of the house, I, I, before we, we have about uh, two minutes before we take a break. And I just wanted to ask you, famously, um, last year the House and the Senate couldn't, they were negotiating, my understanding, from the Globe, but they never could agree on a certain sort of set of permanent joint rules. Um, mm-hmm. And now I think yesterday they sort of, or you, I don't know, I, what's up with the joint rules between the two chambers? <laughs> so when you start off the session, you revert to the temporary rules, which are essentially the rules from last session. What happened yesterday is that in an informal session, the two branches agreed, excuse me, the two chambers agreed to scrap a piece of language that had to do with COVID, which was extending the bill filing deadline. So I think we had last session like an extra four weeks or something. And, and so we're back, we're back to the old timeline that it was, it was nothing uh, of, of major substance, but something that does matter in that to have a bill filed timely, it has to be done by January 20th, as opposed to, uh, I forget that date, but like February 12th or something like that. I see. I see. But the rules are important. People don't understand what the rules yeah. committee does. And it's sort of, um, and when we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit about what's happening in D.C., about the spectacle that we just uh, saw leading to the uh, speakership of Kevin McCarthy and um, about what we can in Massachusetts look to. So, Sounds good. All right. We'll be right back. We're talking to Senator Paul Mark. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. Do you know what is happening at the United States prison for alleged terrorists in Guantanamo today? Join us when we speak with Guantanamo detainee defense attorney Buzz Eisenberg and the founder of No More Guantanamo's Nancy Tulanian. That will be Wednesday at 9 o'clock. Get in on the conversation. Bill Newman. Weekdays at 9 and again at 5. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts. Part of what I love about being a therapist in community mental health is really getting to know people who are from really different backgrounds, including serving people who are the most vulnerable. Dan is a therapist at ServiceNet. There's a culture of thinking more deeply about the work we're doing. And for me, when I do that, that feels really good. If you're a licensed mental health clinician who wants to make your own hours while also being part of a progressive community mental health team, join us at ServiceNet. Go to the employment page at servicenet.org. The Food Bank of Western Massachusetts is the region's largest hunger relief clearinghouse. They have been since 1982. They distribute fresh produce, including vegetables from 39 local farms, dairy, grains, and other nutritious foods to families and individuals facing hunger. The Food Bank is proud to partner with hundreds of food pantries, meal programs, and social service organizations to provide hunger relief in all four counties of Western Mass. Did you know that they also offer free SNAP outreach, helping anyone who needs support navigating the process of applying for 
for federal food assistance. They also offer free bags of groceries through programs like the Mobile Food Bank, which hosts food distribution events at outdoor sites. Everyone is welcome to pick up food all year round. No ID or proof of need required. Learn more about the Food Bank at foodbankwma.org or by calling 413-247-9738. The Food Bank of Western Mass, committed to making sure our neighbors in need have enough to eat and leading the community to end hunger. The Literacy Project is the place to go if you are an adult hoping to improve your reading, writing, and math skills, or if you want help preparing for the high school equivalency exam. The Literacy Project offers free classes at five locations in Franklin and Hampshire counties. We also offer classes to help you prepare for college and to help you plan for a career. If you want to learn, the Literacy Project is the place for you. To find out about Literacy Project classes in Northampton, call 413-584-6755. To find out about our classes in Greenfield, Orange, Amherst, and Ware, check us out online at literacyproject.org. The Literacy Project is the place to go if you want support furthering your education and accomplishing career goals. If you want to learn, the Literacy Project is the place for you. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And we are back with Senator Paul W. Mark. And um, I wanted to ask you, Paul, where are your new district offices going to be? So we're going to have a fixed office in Pittsfield, but we're going to start roving office hours. Uh, I think the first edition we're going to do is going to be two weeks from now. But for the listeners here, that um, what they're going to care about is in February, we're going to start doing regional rotating office hours. And so for the 25 communities not in the Berkshires, so for Franklin, Hampshire, and Hamden, we're going to make sure we hit um, a town in each county at least twice a month. And so we're going to be looking at, I don't know that, I'll know by the time we're on again next month, but it's going to be a Monday and a Tuesday, and the towns are going to be, I believe, the Buckland Town Hall, Williamsburg Town Hall, and Southwick Town Hall. And again, we'll, we'll, we'll have that, we'll make an official announcement in the next week or two, but we're, we're, we're dedicated to doing that and having uh, a person who worked for uh, Senator Hines, John Gould, who's from Williamsburg, He's gonna be he's gonna be the roving district person for I, I call the valley towns, but it's it's the twenty five towns in in Hampshire, Franklin, and, and Hampton counties. Okay, and hours will be posted. Locations will be posted on your website. Yeah, that'll all be coming out. Like I said, within the next couple of weeks. So what was frustrating is in the transition, you are in this funny spot where even though Adam had left. I hadn't been sworn into the Senate, and so there's a limit to what you can actually do, even though you're a rep. <laughs> so a lot of things I wanted to have already up and running were delayed by about two weeks because of that. But it's it's in the end, it's not a big deal. Right. I, for those who don't know, Adam Himes had a baby on New Year's Day just before his Senate <laughs> tenure ended, and so I said to him, "You have a new baby, and so does Paul Mark." Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, So we just watched this dreadful spectacle down in D.C. And I can't help but wonder what 
um, the sort of more balanced legislators who understand what representing your constituents is all about, who understand the responsibility that goes along with the, the, the perks and the titles. Um, what were you thinking when you were watching those uh, 15 uh, votes and the, I don't know, what were you thinking? The, my, my first thought was their system is odd. So the way we do it is you all get sworn in. We get sworn in as, as House members and Senate members by the governor. So you're all sworn in. And then once you're in office, your first act is to vote for either the Senate president or the speaker. What they seem to do is they vote somehow as members elect for their speaker. And then once the speaker is chosen, that person is sworn in. And that person can then swear in the rest of the body. So like this, this weird thing that no one was actually sworn into office until on the 15th vote, they actually got some, someone as speaker. So that, that was just odd to me. And then in terms of, at first it was laughable. And then you're thinking, well, maybe, maybe the Republicans will do the right thing. And where the margin is so close uh, between the, the, the House members of, that are Republicans and the House members that are Democrats, Maybe they'll, you know, form some kind of power sharing thing. And, you know, obviously the Republican, they have the majority, so they'll, they'll, they'll be the speaker. But maybe Democrats get like two committees. You know, so there, there was this hope for a moment that so seeing how extreme parts of their party have become, they're going to do something that reflects the nation and coming together and, and doing the right thing. And then by the end, it's just like, OK, this guy's just going to this guy's going to do anything he can sell anything he can to just make himself the speaker. And it worked. I don't know what it's going to mean. I don't know how long he's going to be the speaker, what he's going to be able to get past. Hopefully, uh, based on the agenda, I think the most extreme people that were holding it up um, want nothing. <laughs> right. Oh, we're hoping our, our Congress does nothing. <laughs> right. <laughs> it, you're used to it. So it'd be, it'd be yeah. great now we want it. And then what a clear contrast. So the House vote in Massachusetts is, I forget the number of Republicans, but it's, you know, it's 132 to 28. And then they all you know, have a nice speech and talk about how they're ready to work and that kind of thing. In the Senate, they take it a step further. There's 37 Democrats, three Republicans. And then after the vote where the three Republicans vote for their leader, the leader makes a motion to uh, move the slate unanimous, to let the record show that this was unanimous. That night, that's how night is. and day. I am so proud to Can live in Massachusetts. Imagine? Yeah, no, it, it, it's. I know. Well, what was really incredible was Kevin McCarthy's acceptance speech, if that's what you call it, and he stood up there and. So you think of a speaker who can, you know, massage issues and bring people together and and that sort of thing. His first thing was, "I never quit." <laughs> Why do you want to be speaker? Why do you want to yeah, make things happen right. if you never, ever say no? I mean, yes. Yeah. But anyway. Just. So we I, we have a wonderful thing to announce. Uh, I'm so grateful to you that um, from now on, the first Tuesday every every month, we're going to have a segment which we call On the Mark um, <laughs> with Senator Paul Mark, who will uh, come to us and tell us what's happening in our state house, And uh, as usual, will be representing us in the fine way that he has in the House of Representatives. He'll not be transferring that to our Senate chambers. And Paul, I'm, I'm really happy as one of your constituents. I'm grateful to you for everything you do. Thank you. Thank you. And, and, and just, uh, I should say, my email has changed for anyone that emails uh, people like us. So I'm now paul.mark at masenate.gov. And my, my profile on the legislature website 
is now there, but on the Senate side. Uh, the district number, if you had it before, it is the same. Uh, and for towns that are now new to the district, 413-464-5635. And then the Senate State House number for me is actually the same number that it was for Adam Hines and Ben Downing and Jane Swift and, and et cetera. And 1625, people, right? 1625. Yeah, amazing, <laughs> amazing. Yeah. It was a good year. <laughs> Yeah, seven seven two six one seven. Obviously, seven seven two sixteen twenty five. I remember it. And um, Paul, Mark, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to the first Tuesday of every month and sharing what's happening with our Senate. Awesome. Thank you. I can't wait. All righty. Good luck. Thanks. We are going to be back in a minute. We are going to be talking immigration, and uh, we're going to be talking to, with a true expert. It is Attorney Dan Berger of the extraordinary Northampton firm of Curran, Berger, and Clute. We're going to talk immigration, one of the hot topics that's burning this week and seems every week. <laughs> we'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Speak about the For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity will be putting together three single-family, three-bedroom homes on Burt's Pit Road in Northampton. Applicants that are interested in becoming eligible are to have incomes up to 60% of the area median income. The application deadline is March 8th. For those interested in submitting an application, they're invited to attend Zoom sessions to learn more. Along with housing needs, the ability to make mortgage payments of $700 to $1,200 per month and be willing to partner with Habitat is required. The first Zoom session will be held Saturday, June 28th at 10 p.m. A subcommittee of the Northampton City Council is considering an ordinance to limit the number of retail cannabis dispensaries within the city. Northampton City Council's Legislative Matters Committee passed a motion 3-1 to one for a neutral recommendation of the ordinance to be later voted on by the City Council. Proponents cite the oversaturation of the cannabis industry within the city, as well as the possible health effects on local youth. The full council will take up the ordinance on January 19th. South Hadley School Superintendent Jamal Mosley is resigning. This comes nine months after he was placed on paid leave. The school has remained tight-lipped on the cause of his leave and mostly tendered a one-sentence resignation. Last summer, the Gazette reported that on May 24th, a Boston employment lawyer sent a public records request to the district seeking a large volume of documents pertaining to Mosley. At the January 5th school committee meeting, members appointed Mark McLaughlin to interim superintendent. Mostly sunny this afternoon. You notice a little breeze out of the west, a high of 38 to 42. Uh, variable clouds tonight, evening temperatures in the 30s, an overnight low of 14 to 20. Sun cloud mix tomorrow, 36 to 40. Some rain and snow showers on Thursday. I'm 22 News Storm Team meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. Hey, it's Jason with the Weather Channel and SnowCountry.com. This winter, there are now updated COVID-19 booster shots designed for recent Omicron variants. Learn more and schedule your updated vaccine booster at vaccine.gov, sponsored by Pfizer and BioNTech. Snowmaking's been constant for several days since temps cooled down. Our Snow Country crew found plenty to love at the mountains early in the week. 
Snow cannons and snow guns firing away all day at Killington. We skied by the Snowden six-pack on trails with very strong snow cover, cranking turns on a super fresh layer of snow straight from the guns on a firm base at Killington. Berkshire East, Jiminy Peak, and Ski Butternut not all skiing close to 20 trails right now. Catamount on nearly a dozen, making snow the last several days. And what said on two dozen runs with action till 9.30. Ski and ride like a beast at Vermont's biggest icon pass destination this winter. Killington Resort is home to the longest season in the East and the all-new K-1 Lodge. Plan a visit today at Killington.com. Check out more at SnowCountry.com. I'm Jason Dean. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Modest, very minimal increase in the police budget, largely uh, due to just regular contractual um, obligations. Holyoke is nothing like Northampton and Greenfield. The quality of life uh, issues or demographics, very, very different. So I can never compare our police departments. The challenges we have going on in our city are very, very different. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Want to support the kind of talk you hear on the afternoon buzz? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, your message at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And you'll be supporting the local news, Valley Talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, your message at whmp.com. And add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP. Your message at whmp. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 1015 WHMP. And welcome back to the Afternoon Buzz. I am um, I'm really pleased about um, this segment of the show um, because we have somebody who I truly respect, who's truly an expert in a field that has um, sort of uh, been at the forefront um, of people's consciousness, uh, sometimes for all the wrong reasons, sometimes for all the right reasons, people often think that they refer to me as an immigration attorney. The truth is, while I represented literally dozens of undocumented folks in district court and in show cause hearings before clerk magistrates, I only had one immigration case, and that immigration case was extremely successful. Uh, very highly, uh, just a happy client, and his wife is extremely happy down in Danbury, Connecticut, where they live. And I have gotten all kinds of accolades, including on the front page of local papers for it. But the truth is, it's the efforts of folks at a jewel of a law firm, an immigration law firm here in Northampton, Curran, Berger, and Kluth, that sort of schooled me on how to do it literally sometimes one night till midnight with Megan Clute um, putting together a pleading for the Board of Appeals down in Virginia so that we can get it into immigration court in Boston. And we were successful thanks to them. And I, among the people that I spoke to there was uh, our guest today, Dan Berger. He's a partner in Curran, Berger, and Clute. He is uh, an honorary fellow of the American Academy of Adoption Attorneys and he, importantly, he serves on the legal advisory board of the President's Alliance on Immigration and Higher Education. His name is Dan Berger. And Dan, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks very much for inviting me. You have been um, working in immigration for quite some time, and uh, there's so much we can talk about. Um, I guess one of the first things that our listeners and folks here in the Valley 
are really concerned about. We, when Afghanistan collapsed uh, in terms of the U.S. presence there, uh, we invited um, uh, as a sanctuary location um, Afghan people to come and live here. And I just want to ask you what you know about that, what the status of those folks who came here from Afghanistan is these days. Sure. Well, I think one of the things to keep in mind is that over the um, the last four years of the Trump administration, or the, the four years of the Trump administration, the refugee program in the United States was really decimated. It, it, um, so usually all the wonderful refugee agencies that we have in Massachusetts are in practice because they are regularly resettling thousands of people. Um, that That was all degraded during the Trump administration. And then the Biden administration was slowly reopening and sort of rebuilding the refugee program at a point where we suddenly had the evacuation of Afghanistan at, at, from Kabul airport with, I think, 90,000 people coming to the U.S. suddenly. So it, it's really difficult, to, you know, and that's, that's an understatement. Um, the, a lot of wonderful people and wonderful agencies in the Valley are, are doing everything they can to try to make people welcome. Um, you know, your attorneys like like you, there's a huge need for volunteer attorneys and paralegals to help out with legal services, but it is tough. Um, and the other half of this buzz is, are the people who are left behind because the, you know, I, I don't have to tell your listeners that the evacuation was chaotic. And so some people got on a plane and some people didn't. And the people who got on the plane were not necessarily the, the highest priority of the U.S. government or the closest relatives of the people here. It was kind of random who was able to get through checkpoints to get to the airport, who was able to get past the gate to get into the airport, and who was able to get on a plane. So there are, we have worked with um, volunteers and colleges and, and people in the Valley to file hundreds of applications for humanitarian parole for those who were left behind, um, family members, colleagues, and so forth. and. Those are mostly sitting. Uh, honestly, the Biden administration, although I'll you know, give them credit where credit is due, but for this one, um, it's incredibly frustrating. Um, I think we have a, a moral obligation to the people who are left behind, and these applications are just sitting. Um, the ACLU of Massachusetts filed a lawsuit. Um, we were trying to do whatever we can to help that, but for the most part, there are about 60,000 Afghans who are still waiting a year later for their parole applications to be decided. And I think that's making it particularly difficult for people here in the Valley, because almost everybody in the Valley has, who, who is from Afghanistan knows somebody who didn't make it, either a family member or a friend or a colleague. Just so um, folks understand, and, and, Dan Berger, could, what is a parole application? Oh, I'm sorry. So parole is, is sort of the Hail Mary pass of immigration. Um, you, you basically can file for parole if if there is no other option. And all of the people from the evacuation came, were admitted to the US on parole. Um, and so what, what happened after the evacuation was that people here filed fresh parole uh, requests for parole to, for the people who were left behind. And that's what's still pending. But it's, it's basically just a, a, a request to be admitted to the US. What happens if they aren't admitted to the US? You know, I, I hate to sound Game of Thrones, but you know, winter is coming again to Afghanistan. It's um, it's tough. Um, 
I'll, I'll tell you, Buzz, um, I've been doing this a long time, you know, probably, you know, just about 25 years, the, the immigration work. And, you know, two things about this Afghanistan situation are, are, are new. One is just the number of people in the valley in, in my world who knew somebody from Afghanistan. You know, I was, I, I was kind of surprised. And so I, I had um, friends, people from the colleges, you know, calling and saying, I work there. I was on a USAID project. I had a student from Afghanistan and I want to help them. So, the, but the other piece of this is just how many people are, you know, that we're hearing about are suffering. Um, you know, over the last couple months, we've had calls from from five different families in the area saying that they knew some somebody who they were waiting to come over here had either disappeared or or been hurt. So it's it's tough. It it is tough. It's uh, I hate to leave the subject, but there's so much to talk about. Uh, uh, sort of a blurring, or I shouldn't use the word blurring because it isn't even it doesn't even rise to a blur. We ignore quite often the plight of those Afghan folks because we're, our attention is turned south to uh, to the Mexican border and uh, what's called Title Forty Two. Um, that was the COVID era policy that Trump implemented or re-implemented. If you look at its history in in twenty twenty to rapidly expel asylum seekers. Um, so that Stephen Miller could uh, could uh, sleep on his laurels, I guess. And mm -hmm. Biden promised to reform title, uh, title 42, but um, now there was a record over 2 million arrests at the U.S.-Mexican border in 2022. So can you update us on what's going on there? The president just visited. What, what's the story with that? Sure. Well, it's... It, it, it's, a, it's a mess in the sense that um, it's hard to know week by week what's going to happen. Um, the uh, Title 42 has been going back and forth in the courts about whether the Biden administration can end it. And so at the moment it is, it is in place. Um, and, and what that means is that, especially because the, the, the um, lines of communication you know, are often go through rumor and, and smugglers and so forth, that pe people are, some people are coming thinking everything's great, you know, Biden, Biden is there, they, they'll, they won't have any trouble coming through Mexico and others. Um, and, and, but it's, it's really, really uh, tough right now. Um, I think this is a problem that in the end that only Congress can really fix the big picture issue with the border. Um, I was just making a quick list of things that are, that are good and bad. And if I could just, just, you know, kind of lightning. Please round. do. Um, you know the, the the good news is is that in a small way the Biden administration is trying to create legal pathways. I mean, down the road, I think what we need is a way for people to come legally to apply to to work here or to be with family here. Um, the Obama administration had created a program for kids from Central America. The Biden administration has expanded that over the last few weeks to um, to, to allow people to come here if they have a financial sponsor from. Uh, Venezuela, Nicaragua, um, and Haiti, which is really going through some tough times. So that's all good. The idea of creating legal pathways, I think definitely having the president visit the border um, can only help. And, and most of the talks that were going on where the U.S. was thinking about this were, were at high levels between the U.S. and Canada, and now the Mexican president is part of that. Um, but the, 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 the hard part is, is that um, at, at the moment, really, a lot of people who are getting to the border are not getting in, and the area of Mexico around there are incredibly dangerous with um, people 
basically gangs preying on people who are who are trying to get in. Um, and even as you've seen, some of the people who do get into the who are at the same word paroled into the U.S. Um, are being bussed around the country or or ended up sleeping in on the streets of El Paso. So it's um, it, it's it's a tough situation. And I I think the only thing I can try to take some some comfort from is the fact that the administration does seem to be focusing on it right now. Um, I'm going to be going down to D.C. at the end of January to uh, through the Congressional Adoption Caucus to talk to new members and their staff about um, children's immigration issues, including border issues. So we'll we'll see. But again, it's it's very tough to do anything without Congress, and Congress does seem dysfunctional. Uh, I think that might be the understatement of the day. Dan. <laughs> we are speaking with Dan Berger of uh, Curran Berger Include. We're going to take a break, but before we do, I just want to say this. Uh, this law firm, and I don't say this lightly, I don't say this about law firms very often around here, um, it's professionalism is is matched only by its humanitarian, um, its commitment, its compassion, um, the fact that it uh, has helped so many people uh, in so many different ways, along with the clients who are uh, who are uh, paying for their services, who are high achievers and physicians and um, that we want to bring into this country because they help with our employment uh, needs. I am always grateful um, that here in Northampton we have a firm of the quality of, of Dan Burgers, and we're lucky to have him here today. We're going to be back with Dan right after these messages. Do stay with us. What's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's shop Friday Roberto's? Correct! They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Pasta bolognese, butternut squash ravioli, chicken broccoli alfredo, and the best thin crust pizza in the valley. Eat in at the bar or order online at Roberto's in downtown Northampton. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com. When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you get the best local and organic produce, a butcher shop, wine and cheese shop, fresh seafood, and hundreds of bulk herbs, spices, and more. When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you create hundreds of union jobs and generate over $7 million in purchases from local farms and businesses. River Valley Co-op is your food hub, bringing you the best from around the valley and world while supporting your neighbors and local farmers. Shop River Valley Co-op in Northampton and East Hampton today. River Valley. Do you know what's going on in business in Western Mass? You do if you read Business West. Find out which companies are growing, which companies are innovating. Learn about people on the move, people taking the lead. Every issue of Business West is packed with business news, including incorporations, building permits, real estate transactions, and bankruptcies. Pick up a copy or read Business West online. The vital business news is in Business West, the business journal of Western Mass. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. For the first time in the history of the country and of the history of the United States, 
the Supreme Court has taken away a constitutional right. I would also describe this day as a day when women in the United States and people who can become pregnant have become second-class citizens. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Despite high interest rates, now might not be such a bad time to buy a home. Data collected by Redfin show home sellers gave concessions to buyers in nearly 42% of home sales in the fourth quarter. That's the highest share of any three-month period in Redfin's records. In its yearly America's Most Trusted survey, Life Story Research asked thousands of consumers across the country to rank their most trusted brands. Tempur-Pedic, Sealy, and Serta topped the list of best mattresses, while Dyson, Shark, and Bissell were the top three rated vacuums. The Defense Department is warning members of the armed services that soldiers have become the target of a new shakedown scam. The scammer claims to be a sergeant who demands money. The Pentagon says at least 74 U.S. Army soldiers, mostly new recruits, have lost more than $143,000. I'm Mark Huffman. Learn more at ConsumerAffairs.com. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And welcome back. We are discussing immigration with the immigration attorney, Dan Berger of Kern, Berger & Clute, the Northampton immigration firm. Um, Dan, uh, I remember celebrating with a lot of uh, the immigra- immigrant community, the undocumented community, and also uh, people of goodwill when um, under uh, President Obama uh, created this, uh, it's called the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. Uh, the acronym is DACA. Um, and we all sort of breathed a sigh of relief um, for those children who came here. I, I, I'd like to ask you, first of all, what is DACA and how does it work? And second of all, what's the current status of DACA? Sure. Well, I, I remember the you know in June 2012, I was I was on the phone doing a consultation with an undocumented student, trying to figure out if there was any any option for the student to work after graduation when President Obama announced this. So DACA is it's basically prosecutorial discretion. It's the use of discretion to say there are, at the, that point there were let's say 11 million people who are undocumented. Um, the government doesn't have the resources to enforce against all of them. So could you just describe the are, typical DACA uh, person that we're talking about, how, how they got here, how old they were, that kind of thing? Yeah. So so to so they would have had to come here before 2007 and be uh, 16 years. Basically, they're they're 16 years old or older. And so most of the, so most of them are, are children who came here with family members and are now in college, graduate school, or, or have graduated. Right. And the ones that I've met and spoken with, quite often they were very young. They didn't make a choice to come here. They just, their parents brought them here. And here they are. And now um, the only country they've ever known, the only language they've ever known often is, is our English. And uh, they live here in the United States and all of a sudden... There's a threat of deportation to a country they've never, they don't remember. Uh, I've I've heard that story too many times. Exactly, and and the the big challenge right now is because there's, um, because the 
courts have put a hold on new DACA applications. Any, nobody has been able to get, almost nobody has been able to get DACA since 2017. So kids who came here before 2007 and then became old enough to apply for DACA after 20, in the last five years, can't get it. And that means you, you've got a, most undergraduates right now who are undocumented, who could have gotten DACA, don't have it. And they are in a position of not being able to, to do summer jobs, to do paid internships, or to work after they graduate. Uh, so it's, 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 it's a tough situation. I know you were, you were speaking about whether what's worse, uh, uh, fear or uncertainty, right? I think that's what you were saying. Exactly. Yeah. And because this is all bouncing back and forth in the courts and also going back and forth between, you know, depending on whether there's a Republican or Democratic president, DACA is inherently it is, is uncertain and it, there's no real way to know what it's going to look like in six months or a year. It must be dreadful. The, the mm. people you work with who, are, uh, who, who don't know whether or not they're going to be sent back, um, it must be dreadful. Yes. So, and so what do you think that's going to happen in the future with respect to people like the student that you were just talking about? So, you know, it's always hard to predict what's going to happen in the courts and in politics, but um, my, my, my gut feeling is that there's strength in numbers. So I think, you know, what we've seen is that people who already have DACA, the 600,000 or so, I, I think, I, I believe are going to be okay. I think one way or another, the courts will come up with a way for them to continue their DACA. I'm, I'm very worried about the, the couple hundred thousand and growing who are younger and don't have DACA and will be, as I said, graduating from schools, unable to to work. Um, and I think really only Congress can can fix that. And how would they fix it? Would they give them some sort of temporary reprieve and, and, and grant them some kind of temporary green card? Or how, do they, how does that work? Well, Congress could do almost anything it wants, but there has been a DREAM Act, um, which is basically a path to permanent residence for for students who qualify for DACA. And that that's, you know, that that's been in in Congress and introduces a bill for years. Um, it does have bipartisan support, but again, trying to pass any any immigration legislation for the next couple of years is probably not going to happen. Yeah, probably not going to happen. Boy, you uh, you work with darkness. Yeah, the understatements. <laughs> yeah, I mean your, your work. I, I know I've I've done death penalty work. I've done Guantanamo work, and I know what it's like to work in these dark arenas um, where you're trying to retain your professional focus while you're watching human suffering. Yours, you do it all the time, don't you? You're always, there's this fear and uncertainty in your clients' faces every time you talk to them, right? It, it is, it's true. And um, I think we just have to appreciate that. That it, and, and some law school clinics now actually have a social worker embedded in the clinic, which I think is a great model because um, it's, good, it's good for the, um, for the attorneys and it's good for the, for the clients. I haven't to have heard somebody that. To talk to. That's a wonderful thing to hear. I didn't know that. There is a, an immigration initiative that uh, uh, you, you know a little bit something about. Could you explain that for us? Sure. And the, the, the quick story is that, and, and this is this is a little bit of positive news, um, you know, uh, but basically um, early in the Biden administration, uh, the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy 
hired an experienced immigration lawyer to think about what could be done to support STEM immigration, science, technology, engineering, and math. What, because many companies and universities were saying it's difficult to bring people here, it's difficult to fill jobs uh, in, in those fields. And basically what happened was they, they went through and tried to figure out what can we do without Congress? What kind of changes in, in guidance or, or policy can be done to support this. And it, it really, I, you know, we can get into the weeds at some point if you'd like, but um, they really rethought a lot of the employment-based immigration categories to try to see how they can work better and eliminate roadblocks for people in STEM fields, especially STEM PhDs. That's really, it, it's important that they're doing that. And, and I'm so grateful that they are. Um, his name is Dan Berger. He is a partner at the law firm of Curran, Berger, and Clute in Northampton. Um, they are as professional as they are um, compassionate. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. It's a huge topic, and um, we're lucky that we have people like you working on it, Dan. Well, we're, we're lucky to be here. Thanks, Buzz. I appreciate it. I do, too. Folks, tomorrow is the 21st anniversary of Guantanamo. We're going to have uh, John Boniface from Free Speech for People uh, talk to us tomorrow, and then we're going to celebrate with two uh, habeas counsel from Guantanamo with Beth Jacob and with Mark Falkoff from Chicago, and we'll be talking about the status of that dreadful prison camp tomorrow. So join us. In the meantime, have a great evening. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg. 101.5 WHMP. Are you an immigrant worried about your future? Do you want to change your life? At Center for New Americans, you can take English classes for free. They help immigrants with jobs, licenses, healthcare, as well as immigration and citizenship. CNA helps you create a better future. Visit our website at cnam.org. Call 413-587-0084. For some kids, home isn't a safe place. And Live in these times, access to trusted adults Northampton like in the teachers valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group Station. It's